So our summer holidays have arrived, and that means we get to kick off a brand new sermon series today, which will take us through to September. Now, if you were with us last summer, you might well recall that each Sunday during the holidays, we focused on a familiar story from the Bible, which many of us probably have looked at in Sunday school, but then maybe haven't paid terribly much attention to since as adults. And this summer, we're going to take another look at another six of those stories. And today we return to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, to the story of Adam and the story of Eve. In fact, all of our stories this summer actually are rooted in the book of Genesis, such an important place to go back to because it shapes all of our thinking and all of our theology. Now, it sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Genesis is a book of firsts. Genesis means literally origins or beginning. So, of course, it's a story of firsts. Now, most of us would have read the opening words of the Bible as they're captured in Genesis. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The most important combination of four words that are used in any literature ever. In the beginning, God. Well, the book of Genesis gets off on the right foot, doesn't it? In just four words, Genesis pulls us into a sense of reality that is both God-shaped and God-filled. god first, first God. Genesis gives us the vocabulary that we need to be able to speak accurately and comprehensively about our lives. Genesis speaks about where we come from. It speaks about where we're going to. Genesis helps us understand why we think the way that we think and what, why we do the things that we do. Genesis helps us think about the people that we interact with and it helps us think about how we can get along with them. Genesis speaks about the troubles that we sometimes find ourselves in, but it speaks too of the blessings that just keep on coming our way despite those troubles. And from its very opening words, Genesis makes a point that we simply shouldn't miss as we read the stories that are captured within it for the next six weeks. It says this, it says that God is foundational for living. Not God at the margins, not God as an option, not God just at the weekends, but God at the very centre and God at the very circumference of our lives. God first and God last. God, 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 in the beginning, God. So as we dig into chapter 2 today, we find Adam and Eve and a whole succession of firsts. Now each one of these firsts is a sermon in itself. The first Sabbath, verses 2 to 3. The first man, Adam, verse 7. The first command that we find in scripture in verse 16, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We'll come back to think about that a bit more next weekend. The first woman, Eve, verses 21 to 23. The first human relationship, verses 24 to 25. Now you'll be glad to hear I don't have time to speak this morning about each of these things, nor do I have time this morning to debate all the really complex theology and issues that rage around the issue of this creation narrative. But what we do have time to think about today is connectedness. Firstly, connectedness with God, and secondly, connectedness with others. Now, all of this seems especially important as we find ourselves, don't we, in a season when connectedness with God and connectedness with others has proven extremely challenging due to the coronavirus. But the first thing I want us to see from our text today in the most general sense is that we were um, created to connect. We were created to connect. I wonder how many of us grew up with Lego. 
You know, you can make some pretty mind-blowing things with Lego that are limited only by your imagination. All of those different pieces, different sizes, different colours, all the different ways they connect together, take some otherwise very boring and, let's be honest, quite unenvironmentally friendly lumps of plastic and it can turn it into something which can be hours of fun and, in fact, a timeless toy. I remember when I got my very first Lego kit when I was about nine years of age. It was a medieval castle. Now, there is a traumatic story that goes with this castle, but I'll tell you that one next Sunday once I've had time for a bit more therapy. But, you know, until I got that castle, the only bricks I had were the traditional building blocks. And they didn't do much, if I'm honest, apart from stack. Of course, the difference between Lego and traditional building blocks is that Lego was designed to be uh, connected one piece to another. And our Bible story today reminds us that people were designed and they were created to connect in at least two ways. When God created each one of us, he created us with both the need and the desire to connect with himself, but also to connect with others. Now, if you don't believe me on that, have a think about the things that you have most missed during lockdown. I bet you that one or both of those connections will doubtless feature in your list. Now, when we read the account of creation, the creation of the universe, the creation of the world, and all that's in the world, including human beings, you have to conclude that this design was intelligent. Regardless of how it happened, and we can debate that until the cows come home, it didn't happen by chance. It happened by choice, and it happened because of the decision or the will of the God of the universe. 3,000 years ago, David wrote these words in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 15. We'll know them well. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you, says David, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. I love that David can talk about being knit and woven together 3,000 years ago, and even though it wasn't till 1953 that Watson and Crick would discover the DNA helix that literally knits us together as human beings. All those years ago, David was able to speak about the reality that science has only just discovered. To believe that you and I and the world around us was created by a blind force of physics requires more faith than I have, if I'm honest. But again, that's a sermon for another occasion. The creation account ends in chapter 1 with these words in verse 31 of chapter 1. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. An evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. The account of the creation of people is captured in just three verses that come before that verse, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. That deserves a wow. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, a second wow. In the image of God, a third wow, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. 
Do you see, chapter 1 deals with the creation of everything, culminating in the creation of humanity, and we're told that we are made in the image of God. Can you just ponder that thought for a moment? Let that thought settle in your mind, that you and I are made in the image of God. Three times in three verses of scripture, God repeats that fact. You are made in the image of God. You are a masterpiece. You see, having created the Sabbath at the beginning of chapter 2, again, that's another sermon for another time. In verse 5, we see something of a shift in the story of Genesis. From the creation of things to the creation of life. And you know, as people, we're pretty good at making stuff, aren't we? We make a lot. And we've been making stuff for generations and generations. Look at the pyramids, or at the other end of the extreme, look at the International Space Station. Both amazing marvels. Think about the internet, um, without which I'd be talking to myself mostly right now. Humanity can create some absolutely amazing stuff. But then we read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 that God made something that trumps everything and anything that humankind has ever managed to manufacture. Verse 7 of chapter 2, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed breath into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. The first human being is fashioned from dirt and the very breath of God animates him. And we're told that man was made in the image of God himself. Now I find that more than just a little bit impressive. As human beings we were made to connect. There's a great story of a little boy that had been in church and he was with his mum and he heard his pastor preaching about our lives. And the pastor referenced both Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 as well as Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 20. And the preacher was saying both go to the same place. They come from the dust and they return to the dust. Well, later in the day, the boy was talking to his mother and he said to her, you know how the preacher said that we come from the dust and we return to the dust? Well, the mother, having one of those parental moments, sensing a deep conversation here, says, yes, well. And the boy replied, well, I just looked under my bed. And there is either someone coming or there is someone going under there. You see, chapter 1 is written as if it's creation from God's perspective. How God saw creation from outside of the universe as he simply spoke things into being in an orderly fashion. And while creation ended with the fashioning of human beings in chapter 1, in chapter 1 we're not actually the primary focus of the story. Creation in the biggest sense was... But then as we get into chapter 2, the focus narrows from the universe, from the heavens and the earth, to the story of humanity in a garden. It literally zooms in on a tiny little spot, relatively speaking, on the earth. In chapter 2, the the story of creation is retold or continues to be told from a, a much more intimate, almost incarnational perspective. And a shift starts to take place in how God is referred to. And it's here that we discover that we were created to connect with God. You know, there isn't much told in the story of the garden about the details of God's interaction with humanity, but there is enough said to come to the conclusion that God didn't just create humanity or man and just leave him alone. As we'll see next weekend, we'll find God walking and talking with Adam in the garden. That's pretty close. It's clear that there's an intimate relationship going on here between God and humanity. 
that God created his creation and absolutely delighted in it. He talked with Adam, he gave him instructions, he he gave him warnings, he gave him a task. But all of this describes a two-way partnership. God and man had a relationship. They connected. For the rest of the Bible, we see God continues to connect with his creation. He guides, he protects, he gives instructions, he, he gives warnings. And in response, his creation comes back to God and responds to God and responds in praise and worship by writing poetry to God, by singing songs, by praying to God, by making offerings and sacrifices to him. And all of this has one goal, to connect with the creator and the creator connect with his creation. And where does it all start? It starts in the garden in a story of intimacy. Now, I don't want to say too much more this morning about our connectedness with God. We'll come back to that next week. We get into chapter 3 next weekend, and you might recall that it all goes more than just a bit wrong. But today, Genesis 2 shows us this picture of the the ideal world, the perfect relationship with God. Yes, sin is going to come into the world in chapter 3 through Adam and Eve's disobedience, and it will disrupt the world more, believe it or not, than even the coronavirus has. But fortunately for us, God does not give up or abandon his people. The entire storyline of the Bible is all about God's work centering on Jesus to redeem humanity from sin and to establish his dwelling place once again with humanity. And we need to recognize this, that God is still just as passionate about connecting with humanity after Genesis chapter 3 as he was before Genesis chapter 2. And I think all of this is tremendously good news for humanity, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus. It tells us that God wants to be known and God wants to be loved as he knows and he loves. He's always wanted that and he always will want that. And that relationship is made possible in our relationship with Jesus. And before we move on to the second connection, I simply want to ask you a question. I wonder after all these weeks of lockdown, after all the challenges that we've faced, I wonder how is your relationship with God today? Is it close? Is it intimate? Is it connected? Well, in preparation for the reopening of our church buildings next weekend, and I do want to at this moment grab an opportunity to say thank you to the staff and the trustees who have worked incredibly hard to make this possible, you might recall that we surveyed everyone in the church. Now, one of the questions we asked was, what have you most missed since lockdown? We also asked the opposite question, what have you not missed since lockdown? And the best answer was coffee, which I thought was quite funny. Anyway, what have you most missed since lockdown? And I can't begin to tell you how encouraging the results were, because they entirely back up my message this morning. The top two answers to what have you most missed during lockdown in reference to church here was connecting with God in song worship and then secondly connecting with others. You see our answers simply reflect the reality of how God has made us to connect with himself firstly but also to connect with others secondly. What's really striking in chapter 2 of Genesis is that the fall has not yet occurred. That happens in chapter 3. Things are still absolutely perfect between God and Adam and Adam and God. The whole of creation is not yet groaning, as the Apostle Paul would later go on to say. There's no sin, there's no disobedience, there's nothing that will mar the relationship between man and God, God and man. Adam is in a place of perfect intimacy with his creator. He's stark naked, 
but he feels no shame. More about that next weekend. But each word that he and God speak with each other seems to be closed, uh, filled with closeness and joy. He walks with God in the garden of the day. He's known and he's loved to the very core of his being by his love-filled creator. Everything we can say is pure perfection. But then comes verse 18 of chapter 2. Now remember, this verse comes before the fall happens in chapter 3. And verse 18 of chapter 2 says, It is not good for the man to be alone. Everything in Genesis 1 and 2 is said to be good until you get to verse 18 of chapter 2. And there God declares that one human being without connectedness with another human being is not good. Well, I think there's much more to this truth than Adam simply needing a wife, although, of course, that's where Genesis 2 ultimately ends. But I don't think that's the whole story. The word that God uses here to describe Adam is the word alone, alone. And I wonder how many times you've heard that word or even experienced that reality over recent months. Maybe many of us are longing to be gathered back in church next weekend because we've sensed aloneness. And into all of that, God says, aloneness is not good. It's there as clear as day in verse 18. God made people for relationship. Relationship with himself, yes, but to relationship with the rest of creation. Now, as you and I will be only too painfully aware, relationship uh, is not always easy. We live in a community that doesn't always bring glory to God. We experience that in our society, in our families, in our marriages, and sometimes tragically even in our churches. As we'll see again next weekend, the first effect of the fall is a, a broken relationship with God and humanity, but it's closely followed too by a fractured relationship between Adam and Eve and then other human beings. God created us for relationship. But so often our sin has rendered us kind of perpetual relationship breakers. You see, what God understood here in this moment with Adam is God understood that his creation needed more than simply a connection to the creator, important and as essential as that is. So if during this lockdown season you felt yourself incomplete because of your lack of connection to others, even if your relationship with God has blossomed through that time, then Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 tells us why. Because even before the fall, it was not good for people to be alone. How much more do we need that sense of connectedness with others when we live this side of Genesis chapter 3 and the fall? In verses 19 to 20, God creates animals and birds and he and Adam have a bit of fun as they get to name them. But then comes verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Now this is the beginning of our social connection. This is the beginning of human interrelatedness. It's the beginning of our family connection. It's even the beginning of sexual connection, which is where Genesis chapter 2 at the end leads to. And Adam totally gets this moment with God, doesn't he? If you keep on reading, what you discover is Adam's response when he sees Eve. He shouts, Yee-hee! Well, that's my translation. What he actually said is found in verse 23. At last, says the man. At last, finally. This one bone is from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from the man. Adam is so much more poetic than I am. 
But in all of this, we need to understand something here. The process of creation wasn't some kind of, oops, that didn't quite work, let's try something else. God wasn't playing a little game of trial and error here. Oh, man's connection with me isn't quite enough, so let's try animals. No, that didn't work, so let's try something else. I know, let's invent a woman. But instead, this whole moment is about God revealing to Adam what connectedness looks like. That it's not enough to simply connect upwards with God, as important as that is, or inward to ourselves, or even to connect with Fido the dog. But it's really important that we have this outward, social, relational element to who we are. Without it, Scripture says we are incomplete. So God didn't just create one human, he created two. And as I've already said, this wasn't just about marriage, although that is where it ends. Marriage is but one significant way for us to connect. But the larger principle is true for every single one of us. We need other people in our lives. And if you've ever tried to do life alone, you'll know that the bottom line is this, is it's very hard, if not impossible, to live the life that we were created to live without connecting to others. We've been reminded of this fact so painfully, in some cases, through the corona crisis. Most of us have felt incomplete without meaningful connection with others. Without others, friends, family, work, colleagues, neighbours, we are incomplete people. You'll know those words that often get shared at a marriage from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. They say two people are far better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach out and that person can help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and they can conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord isn't easily broken. You see, we were fashioned by God, whose deepest joy is connection with himself. We were fashioned by God, a God who created us to enjoy the pleasure that he enjoys by supremely connecting with himself, but also connecting with one another. To experience connection in this life is to experience life. To not experience it, as we'll see next weekend, is death to the soul, death to our deepest desires, death to everything, in fact, that makes us human. Well, as I finish, let's take a very quick look back at the early church. It's good to anchor some of this stuff that we've been thinking about in the example of the church in the New Testament. You see, God used the New Testament church before the days of coronavirus, which is obvious from what I'm about to read, to change the ancient world, and God did it through human connectedness to him and to others. Again, words that we'll know well from Acts chapter 2, verses 46 to 47. It says that they worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. How some of us are longing for that to happen again. They met in homes, even in the temple for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals together with great joy and generosity. All the while, people were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. Can you see it? They were praising God, connectedness to God, but they were enjoying the goodwill of other people, connectedness with others. And the result of all that, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Can you see all these different relational connections that we've been speaking about happening are happening here in these verses? There's an upward connection, there's an outward connection, and there's a sense of inward security here as well. 
And the resulting impact of all of that relational connectedness as people passionately and intimately connect with God and one another is that many people are brought to a saving and a transforming faith in Jesus Christ. Read the rest of Acts and you discover this group of people completely changed the world. It's no wonder then, is it, that the writer in Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.25, let us not uh, neglect our meeting or we might say this morning our connecting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. As I finish, I want to finish with the words of Jesus, because this really drives home the point this morning. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what did he reply? He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say, the second is equally important, equally important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and all your strength. But do this one too. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said no other commandment is greater than these. In other words, and maybe here's our challenge, as we head into another week, another week in some cases of lockdown, another week in some cases of challenge, but another week too where we have the opportunity to reflect on our relationship with God and our relationship with others, recognizing that both are important. Here's the challenge, to make sure we're staying connected with God, but let's not neglect staying connected to others, because scripture is so clear. We need both connectedness with God and each other if we're going to live life and live it in all of its fullness. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you this morning that you invite us into this amazing relationship with yourself. And Lord, thank you that as we've remembered this morning, despite the fact that humanity gets it really wrong and our relationship with you gets broken, Lord, thank you that you took the initiative to fix that damage and to fix that broken relationship. And Lord, together this morning, we just say thank you for the finished, completed work of Jesus on the cross that makes our relationship with you possible. And Lord, if we've slipped away from that relationship with Christ and therefore slipped out of that connectedness with you, Lord, we pray, call us back. Call us back into your loving arms that we would experience the grace-filled, mercy-filled, loving arms of our Saviour as he embraces us. But Lord, too, if we've never come to that place of choosing Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, the way Scripture says is the only way into relationship with our Heavenly Father, Lord, draw us in. Bring us to that place of saying yes to Jesus and forgive us our sin. But Lord, too, we hear the challenge from this text and these scriptures this morning to not forget our relationship with each other as well. And Lord, we confess that doing church online, gathered but scattered all over the place as an online community, has been hard and it's been challenging And yet, Lord, at times it's been so life-bringing. Thank you so much, Lord, that we've remained connected, even though we've been scattered. And Lord, I pray for us as a church community, for us as individuals, that, Lord, as we consider the opportunities that are before us to engage more freely in society, to engage more freely as a church together, even with some restrictions, that, Lord, we won't lose that passion We won't neglect, as the writer of the Hebrews said, that need to meet and to connect together. 
Lord, I pray that even online, even in the room here today, that, Lord, we would encourage one another in the things of Christ. And as we passionately serve you, as we passionately stay connected to one another, that, Lord, our experience would be the experience of the early church, that we'll see lives changed and transformation, that we'll see men and women, boys and girls, coming for the first time or again into relationship with Jesus. What a brilliant vision. Lord, keep us connected to you. Keep us connected to each other, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.